And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Every sports story that matters. Join for just $1.25 a month. That's what you get when you subscribe to The Athletic. Don't miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash thevancast, you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1.25 a month. Sports are back, and you don't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash thevancast to receive an all-access subscription for just $1.25 a month. We hope to see you there. Vancast in what has been a relatively quiet week for the Vancouver Canucks, although there are a couple of items that we need to touch on, and there have been a couple of stories around the NHL that track back to the Canucks, so we'll get to those as well. But before any of that, Drancer, a night without hockey, are you going to be okay? I am going to be just fine. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to make myself a nice bowl of pasta, and I'm going to watch a movie, and I'm going to do sweet fuck all, bud. I'm very excited. Uh, you know, this has been awesome. But when I think about it, right, first of all, I'm approaching October 3rd, which would be a year, right? Like exactly 12 months since the season opened in the very building that I've now watched 56 hockey games unfold over the last 49 days. Uh, no, not even 49, 47 days. And so I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, there's a chance that my first season covering hockey for the athletic will go 12 months right from the start of the regular season the Canucks first regular season game in Edmonton right through to the Stanley Cup being awarded like 12 months not really taking any breaks through that 12 month period and you know in Edmonton for two months at the conclusion and the other thought that's gone through my head is you know I'm at what 56 now this series could last, so I mean, nine more games possibly, right? So really up to about 65 games. 
I probably have now seen more playoff games than I saw Stanley uh, than I saw Vancouver Canucks regular season games during the pandemic abbreviated 2019 20 campaign like this is basically like watching a full season of hockey just in a two-month span like it's been nuts it's been insane and it's been great I wouldn't trade it for anything but man I'm gassed bud well then maybe it's a good thing that there isn't hockey tonight because quite frankly I think you should be in the penalty box for 24 to 48 hours after the Jordan Everly tweet that Drew the ire of everybody on Twitter, including Strombone One. <laughs> that was a good exchange, though, right? Like it was good fun. Yes, for, it was a ter- terrible tweet, the- but good fun. <laughs> well, so I'm covering the games now with Arpon Besu, our Montreal uh, editor, uh, out of um, from the Athletic, and Arpon literally, you know, M- Montrealer, <laughs> Montrealer extraordinaire says, and you know, doesn't cheer it. He just says it matter-of-factly when goal's going. He goes, hey, Labou. Hey, Labou. Hey, Labou. And then he continues on with his life. Like, it's just like a reflex for him. And it's awesome. Like, I find it extremely charming as I'm watching games with him and have been watching games with him for the past 10 days. And so it's in my head, and I'm like, hey, Labou or Lay? And I'm like, okay, I'm going to tweet that. <laughs> so I just tweet that, whatever. Take your shot. And... You know, immediately I see the Mike Martinego puking gif, which, like, come on, man. Get a new bit. Christ. And then everyone else piles on. But when I saw Lou go, oof, I was like, oh, man, this will not stand. And first photo I Google, like, I just quickly Google Eberly goals on Luongo, and the photo is so ridiculous. <laughs> like, Lou's looking in the wrong direction, <laughs> in the wrong side of the net. Like, it's just so funny. So, uh, you know, I quickly put that together. And now I'm in the media area where we're waiting for Barry Trotz to speak post-game. And all the other media are, like, focused on their game stories. And I'm like, what do you think about this joke for Roberto? I'm, like, workshopping jokes with people who have no interest in helping workshop jokes with me. (laughs) Um, So, anyway, I come back with it. And uh, and I've got a... I've got a friend from Florida, like, our, our old social media coordinator... Who now works with the Kraken and she tweets it and she's like, I laughed really hard at this. And I was like, I thought this was a good exchange, though. She, she sent me the original one, the uh, delete this before people on the East Coast wake up. And I'm like, I thought this was a good exchange, though. She says, uh, she says, yeah, I laughed a little bit. Um, and I just was like, you know, if when he comes back, I'm, I'm going to hit him with recapture. <laughs> like I knew already. And so then he then he doesn't even fire back. And I'm just like over the top doing the recapture joke which i was really proud of i'm gonna be honest with you j pat i was like this is this is savagery at its finest i feel like people will like this um only of course to get owned by the wendy's joke which was just perfect uh lose the best good fun i hope uh i hope connects twitter enjoyed it a little bit um you know those are those are those are the moments on connects twitter that that set you know i think connects twitter apart like <laughs> Luongo going after you know a, a legendary like one of the four Hall of Fame quality players to spend the prime of their career in a Canucks jersey going after a reporter in the market for a bad joke and then getting hit with you know uh, contract jokes and all manner of insults and, and just taking it in stride and laughing about it I mean isn't that the isn't that what sets Canucks like where else do you get that what other professional sports teams Twitter environment creates that kind of dynamic maybe nba twitter i don't know if you saw like cj mccollum and dame lillard and magic johnson going ham on the (laughs) on the clippers last night it's amazing right 
Well, Canucks Twitter is the only hockey Twitter sphere that can match that kind of drama. And, and it can't match that kind of drama because that's so super unique and hilarious, but it's close. And I was glad that you at least brought a little levity to a night that didn't provide any Ugh. on the hockey's front. I mean, you talk about basketball, it seemed like everybody's attention was over there. Uh, and I know that earlier in this series, and I don't want to get too deep on the Islanders in Tampa, but earlier in the series, like there were games that, you couldn't peel your eyes away from. Like, there was some really good hockey. Yeah, game three was amazing. Last night was not. Like, last night, no. it, I was getting, just flip a coin. Like, just end this thing, please, somebody. Uh, and the fact that Tampa had the power play to start overtime and couldn't cash in kind of got the feeling that that maybe was a missed opportunity for them. But, uh, yeah, as hockey games go in the bubble, I can't imagine that that is up near the top of your list of 65 or whatever the number is now. No, that was a that was like a battle of attrition with your own attention span. You know what I mean? Yep. Like it was, I mean, we consistently shots. The shot counter was lagging twenty minutes behind the clock. You know what I? Or twenty <laughs> shots behind the clock. Like it was just like, oh my god, these teams are averaging a shot every five minutes. Like what the hell is going on? This is savage. And you know, look, I love watching the Tampa Bay Lightning play. I actually have a lot of time. For the New York Islanders. Like, one thing I'd love to peel into in a normal world is Devin Taves is amazing, right? Like, Devin Taves is a tremendous defender for the Islanders. I also really like uh, Pelic, and I like Pulak a lot, too. They're going to have some trouble getting all those guys signed, especially with the playoffs they've had. But Taves is a local kid, right? An Abbotsford product. I think he's. I think he was a Yaley. Like, I think he played for Yale. Yeah, I watched him play, the, I watched him play in the BCHL. I played in South Surrey for a couple of years, I think. Right. Yeah, so Taves, but Taves and Theodore were on the same, like, U18, like, junior team in Vancouver. Shea Theodore and Devin Taves, like, two of the breakout defensive stars of this Stanley Cup playoffs. And that team finished 10th. Like, how crazy is that? <laughs> that, is, that is crazy, yeah. How do you have two, like, <laughs> high-end, top-pair NHL defensemen on your U18 team and, and have a losing season? Like, one day I need to peel in and get the answer for how they sucked so badly. Like, I need to know. It's actually bothering me. Um, but it's but it's driving me mental, and it's the sort of thing that I just wish I could go up to Taves in a locker room and just be like, but, <laughs> explain this, please. Like, I'm so fucking confused. Um, anyway, the one thing I do want to say quickly, because like, I do think this helps frame us as we pivot back to the Canucks. The Dallas Stars come at you, right? And you are spending 95% of the game playing one of Klingberg or Heskinen. And don't sleep on Esselindel, by the way. Esselindel is a monster, in my view. When I watch this Tampa Bay Lightning team, it's Hedman, and then it's McDonough, and then it's Sergeyev, right? And they come at you with this like weird 11-forward, 7-D alignment, and they just rotate sort of defenders through... Those pairs, like it's not unusual to see Eric Cernak play with all three of those guys because he's going to lead their right-handed defenders in minutes, and then Bogosian will take it. Does it really? It barely matters, right? It's like it's like having a righty with Hughes. Like he's a one-man breakout machine. It's kind of a different thing playing with Hughes than it is playing with Edler or Ben or whomever, right? The Tampa Bay Lightning. You never get a moment in a game where you're not with you're not matching up against Hedman. McDonough or Sergeyev, who's been a huge breakout star in this series for me. Like, Sergeyev is sick. And 
to me, that just underscores, like, I do think ultimately Tampa's going to vanquish the Islanders, though it would help if they had some of their elite finishing talent healthy, right? Sure. Um, but the fact remains that when you think about this Canucks defensive group and this decor and where they need to get to get into the same echelon or even to get within, like, you know, throwing distance of where the Stars and the Tampa Bay Lightning's blue line groups are, like, it's going to require years. Like, I think it's going to require years of work. And and I don't know that the player capable of, of narrowing that gap is even available to the Canucks this offseason. Like, after the Brodeen deal, everyone's looking at Dumba, stuff like that. Like, Dumba doesn't get you there. Dumba doesn't get you close. You know? Like, this is going to be a multi-year project to get their defense to the point where it can... <laughs> where it can hang with those groups. And, and man, that is af- ultimately has to be priority number one for this team. I know it is, but but it, watching these games in this conference final, in this bubble, has really sort of underscored that for me. Yeah, and, and I think that's a really important note to hit on. And I, my guess is that most Canuck fans already know that. But, you know, when you talk about those teams, the Islanders, Tampa, Dallas, you, you're talking... I mean, each of those teams, you mentioned three guys, right? Like, it's not one and then others or even two. Like, all of those teams have three guys that are all mobile, that can get up ice but can get back and defend. And, um, like, I'm glad you mentioned Lindell because I do think there's been so much focus on Heiskanen, and we know Klingberg's been around for a while, and the guy just generates points at will, but... Through that all, like Essel Lindell, but he's he's big too. Klingberg right. is better than Heskinen. This is my hot take okay, for the on. Eastern Conference Final. <laughs> Run that again. So this is my Western Conference Final hot take. Heskinen gets the pub and the points, but Klingberg is still the better all-around defender. Like Klingberg is not just an offensive guy; he's like six-two. He plays physical hockey. He's a monster. Like I was talking, I was talking to a coach, and he was like. If Klingberg played in Vancouver, he would have already won a Norris. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I believe that. Having watched him play for the last three weeks, like, yeah. He's he's their best defenseman. Klingberg's their best defenseman. Heiskanen will be their best defenseman in time, though. Yes, for sure. But for in the sure. here and now, I, I, I've got time for that. But Lindell is the guy that yeah. nobody seems to talk about. And, like, Essel Lindell would yes. be the best defenseman on a lot of teams in the National Hockey League. <laughs> he's, he's such a monster. He, there was a defensive zone win that the Stars had late in Game 5, the game they eliminated the Vegas Golden Knights. And Esselindel ends up at the point, and he blocks a shot in a winger's position and clears the zone. And I was just like, how were you there? Like, how were you even there? I haven't seen a Canucks defender make a play like that since probably Dan Hamuse, right? Like, probably five years. Like, it blew my mind. And he does this all over the ice. Like, he's just... The analytics don't love Esselindel, and this is where the analytics are just not that great yet at measuring defensive contributions, because I'm telling you, Esselindel is an absolute horse. Like, he sees offense, and he says, nay! (laughs) (laughs) I like that one better than Everly. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get Luongo mad at me again. Okay, no, I like that one a lot better than than Everly. But look, I want to get, because you're there in in the bubble, and and we're, we're trying to track this back to the Canucks every way that we can. For these teams that got past the Canucks, the teams that are still standing, you know, what can the Canucks do to get to that level? Obviously, you know, we went so deep in 
the Canucks and Vegas series of podcast after every game. Uh, I think people had a pretty good understanding of the Vegas Golden Knights. And then, you know, poof, in five games, they're out. They can't score. This team that we built up as this absolute, you know, made-to-win-the-Stanley-Cup-killing machine. And Peter DeBoer afterwards sort of admitted that, you know, they got Demko, that his team was shook by Thatcher <laughs> Demko, which was a an amazing quote. But come on, if you're a pro athlete, like you gotta, we always hear about this short memory. Like you survive the Canucks series, you know, man up and score some goals. Like, what did it look like in the rink? Like, why couldn't Vegas ever find its game again against Dallas? Well, I thought that the second part of DeBoer's quote that so that Demko quote, like I went and I sat and I watched DeBoer, and he said that Demko thing, and I was like, oh my god. And I just quickly tweeted it out because I knew, right, immediately. Like, you hear that, you're just like, oh, my God, this is wild, right? Yeah. You know what it reminded me of, J-Pat? This is – you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the second consecutive President's Trophy winning Canucks season where Mike Gillis suggested after they were defeated by the Kings in five games that they never emotionally recovered from game eight. Do you remember I that do. quote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we all were like, that's nuts. You know what I mean? But it – Kind of made sense. That's what the DeBoer thing felt like to me. Like, that was the closest analog I could I could think of in Canucks history anyway. But the game six for me of the Canucks-Vegas series was the moment where I wondered if Vancouver's possum game plan might work. And the reason that I wondered that was that the Vegas Golden Knights really didn't generate a ton of quality. And what quality they did, they missed on. Like, I wrote after Game 6 that Demko was in their heads, citing that they'd missed on 21 shot attempts that weren't blocked. Right? Like, there were 21 misses. Pure misses. That, to me, is the sign of a team that's maybe trying to be a little too fine with their shots. And, you know, so... I guess it didn't come totally out of left field. Like, I wrote it at the time. Like, I, I think we all were talking about Demko being in their heads. We could see it, I think. Fans could see it. But the reason Game 6 hit different for me than Game 7 and Game 5 was that the Canucks won at the net fronts. Like, there were no rebound chances for Vegas. There was everything. Like, it looked ugly. Vegas dominated possession. You know, but the chances weren't great and they were from the outside. And, and you know, a lot of times when coaches say that, they're bullshitting. <laughs> um, when Travis Green said it after game six, he had a point. Game seven looked different. Game seven, the Golden Knights were all over the Canucks, in my opinion. In this Dallas series, it all looked like game six to me. Like it all, Dallas did win at the net fronts. Like Dallas did control quality better than Vegas did throughout the series. And... I just thought ultimately at the end of the day, while Vegas's top six kind of ran roughshod over the stars, Dallas's just overall depth and the quality of their blue line ultimately overwhelmed Vegas and, and overwhelmed Vegas, not overall, not in the run of play, but in the most important areas of the ice, Dallas had their number. And, I, you know, for me, that's sort of the big takeaway that I had was you know, Vegas just didn't generate those types of second chance, you know, uh, sort of stomach in your throat opportunities that they managed against the Canucks. 
I want to talk a little bit about the Stars roster construction. And again, just kind of as a comparison to what the Canucks are in the here and now. Uh, so sit tight. We'll yeah, do that in a sec. It's wild, we gotta, right? We, yeah, but just a sec. Uh, we'll come back. We'll talk about that uh, right after this. Hey, this is Craig Custance with The Athletic. My family has, I, I would say, a healthy obsession with water and water bottles. And we all have our own personal, like, giant thing of water that we carry around. My daughter has a, you know, one of those daily planners, and it has check marks for how much water they're drinking. Because we know when you don't get enough water and you're dehydrated, you feel lethargic, you don't feel good. It makes a big difference in your day. And with Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. We're big fans of Liquid IV in our family. When you drink Liquid IV, you have more energetic workouts, you sleep better, but it's better for your immunity, which is super important right now. You just have more energy. So Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. All right, so the Dallas Stars are into the Stanley Cup final. I, I will readily admit, and I did on Twitter, like I picked Calgary to beat Dallas. I picked Colorado to beat Dallas. I picked Vegas to beat Dallas. I'm not ready to make my Stanley Cup final pick because I don't know who their opponent is going to be, but I'm pretty damn sure I'm going to pick against them if it's Tampa. Uh, because I looked at the regular season and I saw a Dallas team that had one twenty goal score in Gurianov, and that was it. Like, and I thought that would be their downfall—that offense would catch up to them. Like, if you had told me that they were going to punch their ticket to the Stanley Cup with a backup goaltender, now granted, a, a good backup goaltender, but Ben Bishop hasn't been around, and when he has, he hasn't been very good for them. So, you know, they're doing it on the backs of Anton Hudobin, and like. Gurianov was terrific in that Calgary series, went off, had the huge night. And then you get a guy like Kivarenta scores, who scores a hat-trick in a Game 7 elimination game against Colorado? Apparently, Joel Kivarenta does. You know, and then Jamie Benn has sort of come to play here in this last round against Vegas. And through it all, there's been the three guys on defense, and they've had this consistent goaltending. But, like, I look at that roster, and I just think, and maybe... It was like the additions of Pavelski and Corey Perry weren't for the regular season. Like they, these were guys that were added for experience for, you know, this point in the season, whatever the case, like this is an older team up front, certainly. Uh, and really you know, old and, and like a lot of <laughs> feels like mismatched parts, but through it all, like I'm like everybody else, like you're feeling good for Rick bonus gets this opportunity. We'll see if he can get it done this time. Uh, and what a storyline that'll be if it's Tampa and Dallas, because obviously Rick Bonus was behind the bench in Tampa for the last bunch of seasons before making the jump to Dallas. So storylines galore, but I, I don't know. I still, like, I, I don't want to sell the Dallas Stars short because they're there. They have earned it. They're in the Stanley Cup final, but I still look at that group and I'm, I'm not quite sure how exactly they're getting it done. The thing that stands out to me is... Like, I think about that game in November. Remember the wipeout game? Like, Sven Berchi's last Canucks game? Yeah, the 6-1 um, That one the Canucks Dallas. had in Dallas? Yeah. And the Stars looked like this sort of cynical, hard-scrabble, you know, club that was just opportunistic in punishing the Canucks when they were down. Completely shut the game down when they took the lead. 
and they had the look like they'd pulled out of that early season tailspin by then and they had that the look of just a tough customer like just a team with tactical noose galore the you know for me anyway that sort of struck out stuck out to me like they, they looked like a team that would play the way that they played with this sort of like Pavelski Perry informed um you know cynicism about how to win how to get the result you want on the scoreboard at the end like not winning in a romantic sense like winning in a workmanlike sense to them like I kind of I kind of felt like they had that at the time when when I first saw them live this season like I really thought there was a uh, sense for me anyway that they were you know just one of those one of those veteran teams that maybe could overachieve now I didn't see this coming by any means but they looked dangerous to me for all of those reasons, and and I, I remember noting it at the time. The thing that surprised me, I guess, really was the way that they got by Colorado, where the barrage of goals came. What they did against Vegas was Stars hockey. Like that to me was a team that's you know I, I think I tweeted they're not a hockey team, they're a boa constrictor. Like you fall behind against this Dallas team and you're fucked. Like they're just so good defensively they might be the best defensive team in hockey and when you have that going for you in the playoffs that matters an awful lot and you know the mismatch parts is a is sort of a funny thing about this team because Joe Pavelski has been unbelievable I suspect Tyler Sagan is hurt like Tyler Sagan just doesn't look right to me um but they've done it anyway with you know (laughs) Corey Perry looking like he's, you know, uh, kind of like the Black Knight in Monty Python. Like, it looks like like he, he took two really hard spills into the ports in Game 5, <laughs> yeah. looked shaken up both times, but just kept coming, kept going to the dirty areas, kept taking heaps of abuse from Vegas, both verbal and physical. Uh, like, warrior shit from Corey Perry. Uh, I, think, I think Jamie Benn's been awesome. Like, Jamie Benn's been classic power forward, even if the first-line production hasn't been there. And then their depth pieces, like, they've got a lot of really good youth uh, throughout the bottom six, which I think has buoyed them. And then that defense core is unbelievable. Like, maybe the best in the sport, aside from maybe their Stanley Cup final opponent in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, that That's, you know, that's sort of been the, the key ingredients. And they haven't needed their top line to dominate. They've just needed everyone to pitch in a little bit, and then they shut it down. They, their floor is relatively high because no one's generating that much against them. Um, So no, look, Dallas, I think is a formidable Stanley cup final opponent for whichever team advances here, especially if the lightning don't have point Stamkos or a healthy Kucherov. Like I really think that, you know, last night against the Islanders, like it felt like Tampa Bay was going to need, you know, 160 minutes to score a goal. And if they look like that in the final, like Dallas could win this. I don't think they will. I probably won't be picking them either. But man, there is a realistic path for them, especially if this series goes long and adds mileage to Tampa's odometer. And I think that part of it for me is, and you touched on it right off the top, that the Canucks saw Dallas twice in a week span in November. And that was it. They were supposed to be in Dallas I think for game 79, like they, one of their road trips was still uh, Dallas and Arizona to finish the season. So hadn't seen the stars in forever. And so, so I, then I, it was game 80, Jeff. I guess that would have been 80. You're right. Because um, you're the head of game 81. Yes, of course. The much right. Ballyhoo game 81 we were denied. There, yes. Uh, 
See, I'm shook by all of this. Uh, this <laughs> we are doing... Me too, man. Me too. Yeah, but like when I was in a groove, we were recording every other day. I was sharp. Now I can't even do simple math. But but <laughs> also, like, and I remember that 6-1 loss in Dallas, but I remember it more for the Pecan Lodge and was it Miriam's Kachina? Was it, I think it was Miriam's yes. Kachina. Oh, man. Which, Those enchiladas were... Brilliant. Exactly. Like, and so I was so looking forward to getting back to Dallas for one of those two stops, <laughs> if not both of them. But like, you're right. Dallas was the second best defensive team by the numbers in the NHL, but didn't score much. And I just, I, I wasn't sure. I know people say defense wins championships. I thought their lack of offense might come back to, to haunt them in the playoffs, but they have had just enough offense when they've needed it. And I would agree with you that that Vegas series uh, watching on TV at the very least, and not there in the building, but that kind of looked more like I think the Dallas Stars want to play when they're on their game. But again, losing your starting goaltender should matter. But I guess it also underscores the importance of having you know a more than capable backup, and, and that's what Anton Hudobin certainly has become in these playoffs. And it looks mm-hmm. like it's going to be him from here on out. I don't think that you're going to see Ben Bishop again. Uh, why would you at this point with the kind of goaltending that they're getting? And they get a break now that uh, the Islanders in Tampa are going to have to play on here. So, you know, if guys are ailing, like that works in Dallas's favor too, that they're going to get a, a little bit of time off. I know that uh, there won't be much of a break between these series, but uh, whatever rest you can get in the bubble, is you can attest, uh, I'm sure the Dallas Stars will take the opportunity to lay low for a couple of days. 100%. Uh, well, and, and Anton Hadobin's been... Like, by save percentage, one of the best goaltenders in hockey for, like, six years, right? This is kind of like the Thomas Grice thing, where it's like, yeah, it's a surprise, but it's not really a surprise. You know, the the numbers have been there for a long, long time. He just never really got a shot to do this. And, man, I wonder I wonder if teams are going to value him or how differently teams are going to value him after this now that he's a pending unrestricted free agent, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if there's teams that are like, yeah, maybe that guy's more than a 1B um, because he's certainly played like it in the in the playoffs. And, and frankly, his play in the playoffs has backed up years of being a well above average goaltender by save percentage. I, I want to talk about a couple of Canuck things here just in a moment. We'll do that. But another quick break. We'll come back and we'll hit on some actual Canuck topics, even though it's been a relatively quiet week for the hockey club. But we'll come back with a little bit more here on the VanCast right after this. Hey, this is Craig Custis with The Athletic. Maybe you were blessed with a body that you can just pull clothes off the rack and they fit perfectly. But if you're anything like me and every shirt I buy, the arms are too long. Every pair of pants I buy, the legs are too long. I don't have the time or the money really to go and get everything I um, everything I buy tailored perfectly. So I end up looking like a frumpy sports writer half the time, which isn't great. And I wish it wasn't the case. But the times when I do take the time to buy the things that fit right, you just feel better, right? You're, you're confident. You walk into a room. You don't feel like you're wearing your dad's clothes because the, the sleeves are, are down over your hands. It, it just makes you feel better about yourself, and you end up doing a better job at whatever it is you're doing. And that's what makes Indochino so great. Indochino suits are great for wedding and for work, and they offer a lot of casual options like shirts, coats, and chinos. And right now, honestly, like that's what I find myself most attracted to. Like I, I recently made a purchase there. Even if like 80% of the press conferences or whatever I'm doing in Zoom you still want to look good. You still want to be professional. You still want things to fit and feel good about yourself. And the way it works is I booked a, some time with a virtual style consultation. And 
took it step by step. And I was even able to personalize it. Uh, the dress shirt threw my initials on there. From the stitching to the collar to what kind of material you want on the inside flap. There's so many ways to personalize it. So with Indochino, you get custom fitted suits, coats, and casual wear at surprisingly affordable prices. And if you are getting married, Indochino is an absolute no-brainer for you and your groomsmen. Forget the off-the-rack suits that don't fit different body types. Indochino gives everybody a tailored fit. You order with ease, you get it shipped fast, no matter where you live. And with all the ways to customize, you can add a personal touch everyone will be proud to wear without emptying their pockets. The best part, Indochino suits start at just $299 with all customizations included. Visit one of Indochino's showrooms across North America or book a virtual appointment and shop online at Indochino.com. And right now you'll get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more when you enter the code CRAIG, C-R-A-I-G, at checkout. That's Indochino.com, promo code CRAIG, to get $30 off any purchase of $3.99 or more. Check it out. I highly encourage you. You'll feel good about yourself. I promise. All right, so we saw earlier in the week it's uh, awards season uh, in the National Hockey League as they're trying to conduct uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs but also hand out the awards. And we've seen a number of them uh, presented. The focus will be on Rookie of the Year coming up uh, early next week, I think. And so all eyes on Quinn Hughes and, and Kale McCarr. But I thought it was interesting at the very least that Jim Benning got three first-place votes for General Manager of the Year. The award went to Lou Lamorello, and his Islanders are still playing here in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But Jim Benning on the radar at the very I think he finished sixth in the voting, if I'm not mistaken. But the three first-place votes caught my eye. Uh, help me out here, because the voting for this one's done a little differently, right? Like, this is broadcasters plus assorted media. Is that how it works? No, it's NHL GMs. It's NHL GMs with a small panel of like senior broadcasters and you know um, and and media folks. So, so GMs I, I, vote, but I don't think it's time. GMs vote on their own award. Yes. Ah, okay. They vote on their own peers. So you know, I don't think like the thing about the GM of the Year award is that the GM of the Year is probably, in fact, uh, you know, not Lou Lamorello, but is someone we're not who's not even on our radar who you know drafted a guy in the fifth round who's going to be a star right made a trade that won't pay off for two more years you know like we don't really know who the gm of the year award uh, should go to in terms of the long view of history the long arc of history after at this point in the season really right but the award is to encapsulate a cycle and your work over that cycle and I do think when you look at Jim Benning's work over the course of this cycle that he deserved consideration, right? Like the JT Miller trades as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets for a one season improvement. The, you know, that's the big one. And, and that's really the big one. Like to some extent, it's an accumulation of some good deals that preceded it too that wouldn't have been considered within these parameters. Things like the Pearson deal, the Levo deal. But, you know... You take JT Miller, you get that JT Miller trade done, it pays off for you. Your team improves as significantly as Vancouver's did. You know, you add to Foley at the deadline. Um, that's good stuff. Like, that's good stuff. He he probably, he, he definitely deserved to be considered, you know, certainly among the top five or six. But as we all know, you know, the real work is is now, right? Like the real work is this summer, this off season, or this summer. I keep saying that this off season, 
when, you know, the rubber's going to meet the road for the Canucks in a variety of different and difficult contractual ways as the club looks to fit the puzzle pieces together and take another step forward, having overachieved the way they did this season. So, you know, it's an interesting award. I don't know that it makes sense necessarily to, like, award a GM based on one year, right? Like, we've all seen how the future can be mortgaged and moves can that look good one day can can come to look very different, you know, as, as history unfolds. Like, think about how the Luongo and Schneider deals were treated in Vancouver in 2015 and how they're looked at now five years later, right? Like, the, the work of management takes some time to evaluate. And I, that's not to say, like, every GM needs nine years to, to, to prove whether or not they've done a good job. Like, I'm not one of those people. I'm, 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 I'm team impatience when it comes to uh, the work of hockey management. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, awarding a GM for a tight band of time always seems a little bit odd. But in doing so, in looking at the work that various GMs have done over the past year, you've got to like a lot of what the Canucks d- did to improve their club in 1920. Yeah, and as I've said a couple of times now, like it's been a quiet week, and I didn't expect Jim Benning to clear his plate a week after the Canucks were eliminated from the playoffs. But in this condensed offseason, like if a week goes by, it just means that, you know, the I don't know if it's the pressure necessarily, but the time constraints... Uh, are amplified because so we know that things have to get done uh, by that second week of October. One thing that we did find since you and I last recorded a podcast was Tyler Toffoli was made available for sort of his year-end media chat, his exit interview with us in the media, if you will. And I, I thought, I mean, it was refreshing, but I was a little surprised how he basically put his cards on the table. Like You don't often hear a guy say, like, my priority heading to unrestricted free agency, is to get a deal done in Vancouver. Like, you know, I just haven't spent enough time around Tyler Toffoli 10 games uh, after the trade and then the hiatus and then in Edmonton. Like, so I haven't had a chance to really find out, you know, sort of what he values going into free agency. But I was a little surprised to hear him uh, be that honest and frank. And and it's refreshing. And if you're a Canuck fan, I think you'll like to hear that a guy wants to be here uh, as much as he stated there. So, you know, I don't know what that does uh, in terms of the negotiations, you know, I, I do know that if he wants to play with Elias Pettersson, that there's only one team that can, you know, offer that to him, and it was a good fit. And I, I do think that the Canucks paid a price, so they probably do have incentive to make sure that this wasn't just a rental one and done. But quite frankly, I was just a little surprised to hear him state for the record how much he wants to be and how Vancouver is his priority. A lot of guys will just, you know, kind of back off and talk about, you know, they... I uh, want to talk to their family and their agent, and they've still got decisions to make. And he was like, no, I want to be in Vancouver. So that, to me, that was a pretty encouraging sign from a Canucks perspective that look, if there's a deal to be done, then I think both sides want to make this thing happen. Yeah, and I think there's growing optimism that there is a deal to be done on that one. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's the first of the UFA dominoes to fall at this point at all. Like, that would not surprise me in the least. But this also goes back to the topic that's you know, du jour, but also constant in Vancouver. And I just want to, I just want to get out ahead of this and make a Van Cast declaration here, J-Pat, which is that trading Brock Besser would be a mistake, period. Like, I, I've really come to that conclusion. And the more I think about it, the more I look at it, the more I consider his chemistry with Pedersen, the more I consider the fact that, yes, Toffoli probably does bump him from PP1. Even, even with all of that being the case, 
like Brock Besser is not a player that this team can afford to deal unless unless it's an absolute star top four defenseman. Like unless you're trading for a, unless you're recreating Drouin for Sergeyev, knowing full well that that Besser's probably going to be better and is better than Drouin. Like so you better be getting a return that's better than Sergeyev, which is not easy to do. <laughs> like the Canucks should not be trading this guy who scored at near a 70-point pace over his first three years in the NHL, uh, over 82, elaborated over 82, right? Prorated. Uh, this team needs more skill like Brock Besser. His contract is not bad at all. Like, it's not an inefficient deal at all for what he provides. He's maybe not a driver in terms of a guy you can just, like, put on a third line and that third line all of a sudden becomes really, really good. But... That doesn't matter. Like, he's an excellent, excellent top six, you know, complimentary piece, a guy that makes every line he plays on better. This team can't afford to deal Brock Besser unless it's for a quantum improvement on the back end. I'm skeptical that that deal is around, and I think it's very important. Like, I'm not con- I'm not sure the Canucks know what they have in Besser. Like, I'm not sure that the organization knows how good Besser is, and that, to me, is sort of a, a remaining... Like, if there's a reason Canucks fans should be concerned about this summer, for me, that's it. I, I think that Besser's a must-have for this team, that they need to figure out a way to improve the D without giving up on the underlying logic of what makes this team so dangerous, which is an absolutely lethal top six. And, you know, as I've considered this, as I've looked around the league, as I've tried to find sensible contracts sensible trades for the Canucks to make like as I've been you know pouring into the cap friendly thing like you know it all comes back to me to Besser time and time again in part because Vertanen for example his arbitration status is going to limit his value I don't know that the Canucks have a ton of other premium chips to play aside from you know high leverage draft picks so Besser would be their best chip but man I don't think that's a chip that they can afford to cash in here um, I think that it messes with the entire underlying logic of what could make this team special in the years ahead. This team needs more talent like Besser, not less of it. I don't think they can trade him. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying they won't explore it. I'm just saying I don't think they should. Like, they cannot afford to lose a player of this caliber, uh, especially when you consider what he's meant to a group of guys. You know, his longstanding relationship with Stetcher, with Pedersen, on and on. Like, this is a must-have piece for the Canucks for me regardless of how things unfold with Toffoli. I'm not I'm not convinced that the organization views it similarly. Uh, we'll see. Like, the proof will be in the pudding in the months ahead, but that's sort of my quick VanCast take. There will be Besser trade rumors this, this offseason. There should not be. This is a guy you build around, a, a core piece for this team. And we're going to have a chance to hear from Brock Besser uh, here on Thursday, the Canucks are making him available, so uh, I don't know if trade talk will come up to Besser himself, but uh, we'll get his thoughts on you know, the playoffs and kind of where he is and uh, all the issues that uh, surround him and the hockey club, so we're going to hear from Besser before this week is through. Hey, as we wrap things up here, and this is something I've heard you touch on on the radio, but I don't know that we've talked about it on the podcast, so I want to do this. Because you've talked a little bit earlier about, you know, sort of the big three on a lot of these teams as they build these championship defense cores. Uh, Where on Jim Benning's priority list should be uh, mining teams' 
problems as far as expansion protection is concerned. Like, there are going to be mm-hmm. some teams out there that have more defensemen than they're able to protect. Like, how big an opportunity... Because I think a lot of people think Jim Benning somehow is going to magically wave a magic wand here in this offseason and come back with a vastly different-looking defense. And that's just not likely to happen. So, when we talk about the Canucks improving their defense, this may be, you know, a year-long... It's probably going to be more than a year-long prospect or project. But what about that opportunity for the Vancouver Canucks when you look at the defensemen that they're going to have to protect right now, room that they may have in that space, and some of these teams that are going to have protection issues? Yeah, you know, you look at the Canucks defense and Tyler Myers, you know, you protect Tyler Myers. We don't know what happens with Stetcher and Tanev at the moment, but let's let's just assume they're returned. Like, let's say the Canucks roll back the exact same defense core, you know, so long as there's no NMCs handed out, like, you know, Edler has an NMC, but it permits you to, ex- to expose him in expansion. You can then just resign him if he wants to, or if you want to move on, whatever you can figure that out. Um, but like, there's not really three D that I think the Canucks would lose a lot of sleep leaving exposed, right? Like Quinn Hughes is exempt. Jack Rathbone will be exempt. Yolevian Rafferty will not. But nonetheless, like, there's just a ton of options for the Canucks in terms of using, you know, their protected slots as essentially leverage because they could, there will be other teams that are going to prefer dealing defenders as opposed to losing them for nothing to Seattle, right? Like, there are teams that will be looking to offload quality blue liners that, you know, the Canucks can target and chip away at. And obviously the Canucks have their own protection issues potentially in goal, depending on whether Markstrom resigns or not. But, like, there are going to be options for the Canucks here to, you know, target and upgrade their defense core by using other teams' protected lists to their advantage and to use, like, frankly, their lack of defensive depth to theirs. Weaknesses can become a strength, right? So the, you know... One thing that I sort of keep coming back to, too, is, like, I'm not convinced that going all in on upgrading the blue line, like, you can't go for broke upgrading the blue line this summer, in my view. You can pick around the edges, but I just don't see the pieces that are going to make, that are going to, like, fundamentally renovate the Canucks defense being available on the free agent market, for example, this summer. You know, Barry, Hamannick, guys like that, like, whatever, right? Like, they're fine. But are they that much better than Stetcher and Tanev? Like, no, not really, right? Like, they're better, but they're not a lot better. For me, honestly, I think if I was the Canucks, I think you have a better option. I think there are better options available to upgrade at third-line center, potentially. Now, depending on what the trade market looks like and, and what the Canucks are able to pull off. I mean, they, they could have some tricks up their hat, right? There are teams in significant cap problems cap cap hell as it were like you know a a guy like Alex Goligoski from a cash-strapped Arizona team like could you get him on the cheap as a one-year solution he's only got one year left on his deal there's lots of money left on that contract he can play RD even though we know the Canucks don't like guys on their weak side you know are you able does Eric Cernak shake loose as the Tampa Bay Lightning contend with Sorelli and Sergeyev both coming up for massive extensions one would expect you know, like, are there options? Yes, for sure. Um, good ones. Good ones. Maybe the Canucks can pull off more than I expect, but I really think that the options to improve the defense 
core this offseason are going to be relatively limited and relatively high cost. And for me, I'm not dealing Besser to for a minor upgrade. Like it really has to, like I'm not dealing Besser for Cernak, right? I'm I'm probably not dealing Besser for Sergeyev though I'd think about it. Um I'd probably do that. But, you know, like that's sort of that's sort of the level it has to be at and Besser wouldn't appeal to the Lightning is too expensive, right? So I'm I'm just the point being that it's going to be really really difficult for the Canucks to take the sort of step forward that they need on their defense score. I don't know that if I'm the Canucks, I'm planning to necessarily sell out for that this offseason. I'm keeping my eye out for my for options. But like one thing I keep coming back to is if you want to maximize what this team already has, the strengths that this team already has, right? They're in goal, which means resigning Markstrom is a necessity. They're in the top six, which means resigning to Foley is an, is a necessity. And beyond that, like honestly, I think the biggest thing that this team could do this offseason would be to find ways to shed as much money as they can, as much cap space as they can, and upgrade at third-line center. Like, if you can upgrade at third-line center, you can optimize Bo Horvat because all of a sudden you can play Bo Horvat like a normal second-line center. And we've seen, like, when the Canucks went to playing Elias Pettersson straight up early in the playoffs, like, when you play Bo Horvat as a second-line center, he, he all of a sudden starts scoring these crazy rush goals and just becoming this production machine. Throughout his career in Vancouver, Horvat's been thrown to the Wolves matchup-wise, like well before he was ready, because the team's third-line center, Brandon Sutter, was often hurt, right? The way that Green likes to play with his matchups, the way that he prioritizes keeping penalty-killing bodies in the lineup, like you really do need a third-line center who can kill penalties and do so without punting the bottom six minutes in five on at five on five. Uh, if you get a third line center, like a high end third line center, I do think that that changes things significantly from Vancouver's perspective. For me, that would be almost a higher priority than upgrading the defense, unless the right piece is coming is coming along. Just because I think that would do more to address Vancouver's sort of Achilles heel, as it were. Like if you can find a third line driver, I, I just think it changes the complexion of this team so significantly. In part because it allows you to optimize Bo Horvat and give some nitrous, some additional nitrous um, to the top six while also giving Green, you know, better matchup options all around. And, and we know how disciplined and, and workmanlike he is with those options. So, so wh- um, where does Godet then fall into all of that? Or is he a chip that you have to play to, to try to upgrade that position? You, you might, but I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I look to move Godet. I just, you know, I think it's time to recognize, like, Godet wasn't this team's third-line center. I know he took line rushes third, but he played fourth-line minutes, right? Like, what Godet is right now is a bottom-six piece. He's not a third-line center. He's a bottom-six piece with excellent offensive abilities who works hard all the time, right? Like, and I, you like that. Like, you love that. But he's also a 10.2C guy. Like, he doesn't have to be expensive. If he plays on your fourth line, that's fine. Like, that's not a problem. Um, you know, I, I think you go long. Like, if you can get Godet done at, like, three years, 1.3, and he takes that step and becomes that third-line center for you, which is definitely possible considering how quickly he's improved in his NHL career to this point. Like, that for me is a bet you place every time. But you can't look at Godet based on what he's done to this point and be like, this is our third-line center. Because this is a guy who doesn't kill penalties playing behind Pedersen and Bo Horvat who don't kill penalties. Like, at some point you need a guy who's going to be, like, the defense-oriented player if you want to get the most 
out of your top six forwards, both both of them are capable defensively, but are offense-oriented players primarily. Like, you need your answer to Radic Faxa. Like, you, that's the player you need um, to, to sort of take the next step, in my view, and to maximize your assets in terms of your top six. Like, for me, every bit, like, goaltender, top six... That's the key elements that drive this Canucks team. You're not going to make the defense a strength of this club in one in one summer. This is going to be years of work to get this team's defense to the point where we can talk about it, you know, having that same level as Dallas and Tampa Bay, in my opinion. So the best things to do, maximize your strengths, play to your strengths. You have this opportunity to potentially use protected list crunches to your advantage, but that comes next offseason. If I'm the Canucks... My game plan is keep my best top six player that's a that's a UFA. Keep my best goaltender that's a UFA. Um, keep Demko because I don't know what next season looks like and I've got time. You know, if I'm expecting to pick at other teams who have a crunch on the blue line, like I can figure out my crunch on the uh, in goal later on, right? So that's sort of my approach there. Uh, and I'm looking to find value and place some good bets on my defense core without sacrificing the key strengths of my team. And so my, my honestly, my main target's probably not a top four defenseman. I mean, it is, but it, but it's sort of a back of mind target, like a, a, a big picture target. My immediate target is: can I find a way to shed some bottom six fat and identify and acquire a third line center that can drive a line for me and kill penalties and help me optimize the strengths that my team already has. Like those are the, that's my approach. If I'm the Canucks, that's my approach. Um, I don't think they're thinking along hugely different lines either. Like I think they know this. I think they would love to find a really good third line center. Um, and I think they'll try, but I do think it's sort of uh, uh, the their priorities a little bit different. I think they're viewing this with the with a massive blue line step forward being sort of front of mind this off season. I'm just really skeptical that they can do it at a reasonable cost, and so we'll see how this plays out. It's going to be really fascinating to see because there's there's just so much business for this Canucks team to transact if they're going to continue to take a step forward as an organization. Well, we'll see what the next week brings because uh, we've been going on a weekly basis now since the Canucks have been eliminated uh, will be in the Stanley Cup final I don't imagine the final will be over by the next time we record so we'll certainly look at the two teams that are competing for the Stanley Cup and we'll see whatever Canuck news comes our way before we run I just wanted to mention Lisa Dillman has written a piece about Kevin Bieksa and his rise during these playoffs and it's interesting because Bieksa didn't grant her an interview for the piece, so she talked to a lot of the people around him, the decision makers at Sportsnet that have put him in a position to sort of be the breakout guy uh, here during the postseason. So a nice piece of The Athletic by Lisa Dillman. Uh, As well, Jeff Ward, who had the interim label taken off his title. He's now the head coach of the Calgary Flames. He joins Pierre Lebron and Scott Burnside this week on the Two-Man Advantage pod. You'll find that at The Athletic as well. We always tell you to check out our comment section for each podcast episode of The Athletic app and Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe now and save. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, the reporting, the storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash thevancast, you can receive an all-access subscription for just $1.25 a month. 
Your answer, hang in there. Enjoy your uh, full off day. Thanks, bud. Even though uh, we basically pounded oh, out an hour-long podcast on your day off. But uh, a night without hockey for the first time since uh, the walkout there uh, midway. So uh, we have seen nights without hockey, but that was for a different reason. This is the first time that there hasn't been a scheduled game uh, on the Stanley Cup yep. playoff docket. So uh, uh, I will hang in there, but, you know, the VanCast never feels like work to me, right? That's good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious, bud. Um, a lot of fun. I, I missed it. I missed I missed chatting hockey with you, bud. And uh, it's good to good to get back for a long episode this week. We'll do it again next week, and, and hopefully have a little more Canucks news to break down. I suspect we're still going to be, uh, you know, I suspect we're still like ten days away from the dominoes starting to fall. But once they do, like the next three weeks are going to be as busy. Uh, a period of hockey news is anything we've ever seen. It's going to be a ton of fun. Right, and just so people know, uh, this is just a little sort of decompression, if you will, uh, since the Canucks season ended, but uh, once we get to October, we'll ramp things back up to a week and we'll get back into our regular routine of cranking out uh, pods uh, as things unfold for the Vancouver Canucks. So already looking forward to that, but uh, this is just a little breather here uh, between now and then. For Durant, it's J-Pat. As always, we thank you uh, for your support. Uh, the feedback, all that kind of stuff is great. We really appreciate it. It's always good to hear from our listeners. Uh, you guys are the ones, uh, the, the reason that we do what we do here at the VanCast at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs>